0: According to his promise, we are looking for new promises. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, our first look at Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> the very famous resurrection chapter of Hebrews chapter 10. I'm joking. this is a resurrection Sunday and and many times a visitor will come to the church and expect to hear a resurrection message. We did sing resurrection hymns, but uh, it is not our practice to, uh, we're not liturgical, we don't follow an advent calendar, we don't typically adjust our messages based upon holidays and things of that nature. Uh, We teach line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And as it is, last week we concluded Hebrews chapter 9. This morning we will uh, move on to Hebrews chapter 10. I would not be shocked, however, if in the process of of describing these verses, if a reference is made to our risen Savior. That seems to be uh, possible. Hebrews chapter 10. For the law... "...since it is only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year." For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And that's just built into the process and what we're dealing with and what we've been dealing with in the nine chapters leading up to this morning. In many ways, chapter 10 serves to recap what has been developed in the previous chapters. And so we'll be blessed to go through these concepts again and again and again. Not the sacrifices again and again, but the teaching again and again so that it is firm in our thinking uh, moving forward. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer and <clears throat> ask our Father for His blessing upon our time of study. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning, thankful for your grace and truth, thankful for the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for His greatness, for His glory. We celebrate His greatness and glory, not just on Easter Sunday, but day by day, with each passing moment, Father. He rose again that we might walk in newness of life. And we walk in that newness of life today, all day, every day. Father, I thank you for the living sacrifices that we can now become because of our Savior and what he accomplished. We call upon your faithfulness now this hour that you would open the eyes of our understanding, um, cause us to understand not only what this is saying, but the real impact of it that we can live it forth in a very powerful way. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we have an explanation. And really, everything that's been said up through the end of chapter 9 is now going to be summarized. It's now going to be recapped and summed up for us by way of explanation here in verse 10. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things. We have seen repeatedly in these recent chapters, we've seen differences between shadows and substance. And shadows are inferior to substance. Shadows are pointing forward to substance. You and I walk in the substance. And that's, that's a glory. Alright, and so we want to recognize this for what it is. The law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. There's some things that just shadow cannot do. Shadow is pointing forward to a substance. It's pointing forward to a reality. And the shadow can't do what the reality is going to do. And that just makes sense. And in fact if the shadow could do it we wouldn't need the reality to show up eventually. We would just stick with the shadow and say, okay, we're good. And that's the point of what we're seeing here to start off chapter 10. As far as contrasting these things, this is actually the second statement we've had very similar to this statement. You might remember back in chapter 9 and verse 11, you might even just glance across the page and see, when Christ appeared, he appeared as a high priest of the good things to come when christ appeared he appeared as a high priest of the good things to come and he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this creation and so we have two statements now that we want to juxtapose we want to put these side by side and recognize that jesus appeared before the father in heaven as a high priest of the good things to come or arguably we could say as a high priest of the good things having come, having come, realizing that when he stood before the Father, the it is finished work was finished. He did the work that he came to do. And so he stood before the Father as a high priest of the good things having come. When law was given, those good things were still coming. Those good things were future. And so they're called the good things to come in chapter 10 in verse 1. It's almost the same language, it's slightly different. The, uh, the verb is slightly different. In fact, it's such a parallel that there's even manuscript issues. So um, some manuscripts will take and modify the text of chapter 9 to agree with the text from chapter 10. The better manuscripts will keep the text the way it is in chapter 9 and deal with the subtle difference in the way that God wanted us to deal with the subtle difference in a very beautiful way. Because when Jesus is standing before the Father uh, as a high priest of the good things to come, the good things have come. He's the first of all the good things that have come with the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so this is what we're dealing with. We have this marvelous hinge. We have this marvelous threshold, if you will, that for all those thousands of years leading up to the birth of Christ was anticipation, now that Christ was victorious in His first advent, we now have the inception, the inauguration of the good things to come. Good things to come, and here we are. Good things, right? In some respects, this is useful for us to, to contrast Israel and the church. And uh, one of the neat things about uh, Israel and the church, as far as their differences go, is Israel kept waiting for things to come, things to come, things to come. We in the church we have those good things now. We have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have a deposit now of our eternal inheritance. We have a reality now of a heavenly priesthood in Christ. Israel's still waiting for their kingdom to arrive on this earth. But we're a heavenly people operating in the heavenly places. And for us, the good, the good things to come are the good things that have, have, have done come, right? We got them. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And you've got to, got to, got to keep that in the forefront of your thinking. All right. I know we're in Hebrews 10. We're going to gain ground in Hebrews 10 this morning. But just hold your finger there and take a look with me at Ephesians 1, 3. And the next time you end up in a debate with people trying to convince you that uh, the church is the recipients of the new covenant, bring them here. And, and ask them to explain this to you. B- Ephesians 1.3, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ.'" That's a reality. That's you and I here today. That's true for every church-age believer priest from the moment of their salvation. When you pass from darkness into life, Ephesians 1, 3 says, God blesses you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That is our birthright. That is our heritage as the body and bride of Jesus Christ. That is the blessing for every church age believer. So that's ours. That's ours. All right. You can rescue your finger now and go back to Hebrews 10 if you like. What does Israel have to look forward to? Israel was given the law. It was a shadow of good things to come. The good things to come for Israel haven't come yet. For Israel, they're still on the way. For Israel, it's still thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because the kingdom isn't here yet. Israel is not yet in the new covenant. Israel can't be in the new covenant until they go through tribulation, until their Messiah returns. And there's huge differences here. And the reason why I took the time to show you Ephesians 1.3 is because all of the good things to come that Israel is looking forward to is a different set of blessings. They're not going to receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. They're going to receive very specific delineated blessings as per Jeremiah 31.31. They're going to have covenant blessings with the law written upon their heart. They're going to have national transgressions removed. They're going to have a prophetic office in which they will teach Jesus Christ to the Gentile kingdoms in the millennium. Israel will have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's similar. We've got an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the same outpouring. And so when you take the time to walk somebody through like this, it might be, pedantic it might be you know uh, it might be a slow process and it might take some work might require some effort and they may not be willing to go through the effort with you but at least go with them as far as they'll go with you on this walk them through jeremiah and all the blessings they can anticipate and just have them write them out blessings blessings blessings, and, and look at that list and say that's a great set of blessings israel can look forward to in the millennial kingdom but it is not every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It's not Ephesians 1.3. It's not what we have in the church age. So for Israel's context, there's still the good things to come. For our context, good things are already here. We are in Christ and our good things are different from their good things. I hope that is an easy way to explain things. All right. So Jesus appeared before the Father in heaven as a high priest of the good things to come. And we dealt with that back in chapter 9 and verse 11. And He did that in the heavenly temple, not the earthly replica. That's significant. Mosaic law had a shadow of the good things to come, but not the substance image. Not the substance image. And that's what we deal with in Hebrews 10.1. It had a shadow. "...for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very..." And the word translated form there is substance image, the icon, not the very image, the very substance of the good things to come. And on that basis, it never could provide it. And it was never designed to provide it. Here's the thing. The failure of law was not an oops, right? Right? The failure of law was not God scratching His head saying, well, golly, I thought that was going to work. All right? No. From the very beginning, when God gave them law, it was given as a shadow, as a type, as a teaching illustration of the good things to come. It was never intended to do what Jesus would do at the cross. It was never intended to provide what the new covenant blessings will provide for the Jewish people in the millennial kingdom. It was not the good things to come. It was the shadow of the good things to come. This, I think, is really a profound statement, that it was given, it was obsolete by design as given so that humanity would learn the lessons they would have to learn through the, uh, the things taught under law. The good things law could never provide include the good things that Hebrews has been teaching us, and this is now outlined for us through these chapters. The good things that law could never provide include the perfection, the perfection of a cleansed conscience, the perfection of a living sacrificial service, the perfection of a confident nearness, or the perfection of a transformed image. All of these are given under the heading of perfection or completion in the various chapters that we've already gone past and still some chapters yet to come. The terms of perfection are found in chapter 7, chapter 9, 10, 11, and 12. So we've had two of them already. We've got one that we'll hit here in chapter 10, both in verse 1 and verse 14. We'll have two more coming up in chapter 11 and chapter 12 or the perfection will be detailed yet again. The good things law could never provide include the perfection. Let's just start with that. The perfection. What do we mean by perfection? Well, what have we seen so far? Hebrews 7.11, there was perfection there. And a statement that Mosaic law didn't give it. Hebrews 7.11, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, If it was, remember it's not, but if it was, or on the basis of it, the people received the law, but if perfection was through Levitical priesthood, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? And the question answers itself. Right? It's one of those rhetorical questions of a counterfactual. Since it's not true, we know that it it is necessary. If if it was true, then we wouldn't need this. If Levitical priesthood was going to bring Israel into perfection, if that's what it was designed to do and that's what it was going to do, well then we wouldn't have Psalm 110. David would have never made the prophecy, Behold, you are a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. We never would have had the design for a Melchizedek priesthood to follow the Levitical priesthood. So perfection is not through the Levitical priesthood. Verse 19 of the same chapter. The law made nothing perfect. Well, that's pretty blunt. <laughs> All right. It just spells out that way. The law made nothing perfect. Or uh, verse 28 of the same chapter. The law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. What a blessing. So we have Mosaic law. It's given, you know, 1440 BC or however you date the Exodus. The Mosaic law is given in Moses' lifetime. And then 400 years later, four plus, in the life of David comes a prophetic utterance of the Messiah as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And it's a priest who himself is going to be made perfect through the testing and the suffering and the, the issues that he goes through here also recorded in the book of Hebrews. How about chapter 9? More perfection you might remember in chapter 9. Hebrews nine nine and Hebrews 9.11. Hebrews 9:8 says, "The Holy Spirit is signifying this: that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed, while the outer tabernacle is still standing." And you might remember, as we were teaching this, the the, uh, the marvelous truth that's contained that that says that the way is not disclosed, and so you can't see the next chamber till you get through the outer chamber. You, you got to get into the outer courtyard. You got to go into the holy place. Then you can see the veil that goes into the holy of holies. But even when you get within there, you're still in a replica. That the way into the real holy place at the Father's right hand, the way to the real holy place, uh, that is to say made without hands in in the third heaven, the way into the real holy place, there's no Levitical priest that will ever get there. Every Levitical priest, even if he makes it into the Holy of Holies one day a year, he still has to turn right back around and come right back out To the holy place to the courtyard back home to the tent all right there is no high priest that will ever get through the holy of holies on earth and then pass through the heavens to the holy of holies at the father's right hand only jesus only jesus and that's why the the impact was made there the observation was made there that when he made purification for sins what did he do he passed through the heavens He took his seat at the right hand of the Father, having received a greater name than they. He is the only high priest that ever passed through the heavens. Every earthly high priest passed through an earthly veil and then came right back out. Turned around and came right back out. And he had to do it again the next year, and the year after that, and the year after that. All right. So in verse 8, Hebrews 9, 8 The Holy Spirit signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. A symbol for the present time. So it's symbology, it's shadow doctrine. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Not going to happen. It can't happen. Since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body. Shadow doctrine applied to the body. You could cleanse a Levitical priest and he could be cleansed according to Levitical procedures and he could go into the tabernacle and he could function in there. And you know what? He didn't even have to be saved. (laughs) Salvation was not a component of Israel's stewardship in the Old Testament. You could be high priest just because your dad was the high priest and he died and you're next in line. Whether you were saved or not, never entered the picture. Israel's stewardship was not linked to regenerate status as ours is in the church age. Some folks don't think about that, but there it is. Can never make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Verse 11, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. So if you're going to have perfect worshipers, it's got to come from the perfect tabernacle. It's not going to happen in the shadow replica tabernacle. You can make perfect worshipers. It's got to be in the perfect tabernacle. That's why you and I, we enter within the veil that is his flesh. We stand before the Father and we have every right to do so. Jesus went in as a forerunner and we follow right behind. We're in the presence of God the Father in our priestly ministry. It's a powerful thing. Hebrews 10.1 is our verse this morning. The law has a shadow, not the substance. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Think about it. How many times did Aaron do that Day of Atonement thing before he died? And then his son, how many times did he do it? And then his son, how many times did he do it? These high priests, they did it repeatedly year after year after year for their whole life. And with all of these repeated sacrifices, who did they perfect? Nobody. But Jesus offered himself once for all. And who did he perfect? Everybody. Everyone in Christ. Everybody that accepts his work on their behalf. Everyone that believes in Christ unto eternal life. And so by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. What a glory! There's even an indication when we get into uh, chapters 11 and 12 related to this. I think uh, uh, Hebrews 11.40 is so remarkable and it, it takes every Old Testament saint, men of whom the world is not worthy, but then it brings them to a, to a view whereby uh, the church is also portrayed, that's the them versus us language here, And we provide for their perfection. So when you get through reading this whole uh, uh, Hall of Fame of Faith and you read through these things and what they went through, they experienced mockings and scourgings, chains, imprisonments, stoned, sawn in two, tempted, put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. They served in their stewardship, in their generations. But it goes on to say, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground, all of these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised. In the sense of operating under Abrahamic covenant promises that have not yet appeared. Messiah hadn't come yet. The seed of the woman isn't here yet. And so... And the sins aren't removed. The sins are simply atoned for, covered. But it goes on to say, because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. All right, now we're going to deal with that in more detail when we get to chapter 11, but just pinpoint it now and file it away in the back of your mind. You got a verse like this that's pretty distinct. There's us and there's them. Right? So why are you trying to tell me that we are them? (laughs) Or that the church replaced them? Or that, you know, Israel was the Old Testament church, or the church is New Testament Israel, or there's just one kind of, you know, fuzzy household of God and we're all just kumbaya, one thing together. No. The church is not Israel. There's them and there's us. And we give them significance in in the... uh, walk of faith as it, as it applies. And we'll, we'll detail that. That'll, that'll come up in chapter 11 and then in chapter 12. This great cloud of witnesses that we have, we get to fix our eyes on Jesus. Okay? They walked by faith not realizing yet the things that were promised. We walk by faith receiving everything. All of it. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We have every provision given up front and so we walk accordingly by faith in the uh, appreciation for that the application of that these uh, references to perfection how about uh, how can you be perfect if the perfecter hasn't been made perfect yet well that's us our perfecter was made perfect and he perfects us he is the author and perfecter of faith so fixing our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of faith another good reason why mosaic law couldn't perfect anybody Because the perfecter had not yet been perfected while uh, Moses had given Mosaic law to the nation of Israel. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The perfecter has been perfected, and so here we go. Verse 23 also of chapter 12. Here's what we've come to. They went to a terrible, fearful mountain they stood at the bottom of Mount Sinai while Moses went up to uh, come back down and teach them. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I'm full of fear and trembling. That's not the mountain you and I go to. That's not our mountain. That's their mountain. Our mountain, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the myriads of angels. You thought you drove to Cross Park Drive this morning? All right. Spiritually speaking, We're on Mount Zion in the heavenly places. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Mosaic law never did any of that. Jesus did all of that. And so we have the the good things. For Israel, good things are still to come. For the church, the good things have done come. We've got them. That's us in Christ. Good things also include the cleansed conscience, something law could not do. Hebrews 9, 9 and 14. Hebrews 10, 2 and 22. To cleanse the conscience. You could have an external washing. You could have an external cleansing. You could be ceremonially clean and go uh, take part in Passover. Go take part in Pentecost. Go take part in whatever because you're ceremonially clean. Never mind the fact, of course, we were talking about the, uh, the Pharisees this morning. They didn't want to cross the, the praetorium. They, they made Pontius Pilate come out to them. They didn't want to cross into the praetorium. Why not? Well, because it was Passover. They wanted to keep themselves ceremonially clean <laughs> while they're plotting murder, while they're betraying our Savior. But oh, how holy were they and keeping themselves ceremonially clean. I'm sure they went home and had their Passover dinner that night feeling very ceremonially clean, putting Jesus to death. Well, Mosaic Law doesn't cleanse. We've seen this again and again. Hebrews nine nine, Hebrews 9.14. So a symbol for the present time, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshippers perfect in conscience. Part of the perfection is a cleansed conscience. Verse 14: "How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We hold a priesthood on the basis of a reality, not on the basis of a shadow. We have more than just ceremonial purity to have a, an earthly ritual. We have eternal purity. We have the finished work of Jesus Christ by which we can take part in communion today. We can stand before the Father today, perfectly cleansed, perfectly with a cleansed conscience to stand before Him, a sinner saved by grace. We'll talk about this when we get to verse 2 of Hebrews 10 when in the, in the consideration of if those sacrifices could have done it, they would have done it and we'd be done. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. No longer have had consciousness of sins. And we're going to have to talk about that. What is the freedom we have of a clear conscience? That doesn't mean he wipes our memories. That's still future. But we do have, we're not killed by the guilt, we're not crushed by the crushing consciousness of our sins. We still can recall things from years gone by that we're not pleased with but it's not crushing in the awareness of our consciousness. It's a big difference. We'll deal with some of those principles too. Hebrews 10.2 Hebrews 10.22 The cleansed conscience. let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The whole deal body, soul, and spirit be preserved complete to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the perfection of a cleansed conscience. We have the perfection of a living sacrificial service. The perfection of a living sacrifice service. This has come up again and again. See what I'm saying when I say that chapter 10 recaps everything that in in the first nine chapters have been leading up to? The perfection of a living sacrifice service. Because we, ha- we can be the living sacrifice, we can serve the living God. Try, being, try serving the living God and all of your worship involves death. Okay? Every animal that dies, so you can stand before the living God and not die yourself. But we stand before the living God because our Savior died and rose again. That He ever liveth to make intercession for the saints that we walk in this newness of life. Mosaic Law couldn't provide for this. Hebrews 3.12 Take care, brethren, there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. The living God. That's who we serve as living sacrifices in Christ. Hebrews Hebrews 9.14 How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse your conscience. Why? From dead works. Mosaic law is dead works. Even if you keep it perfectly. Dead works to serve the living God. Mosaic law couldn't provide for that. 1031. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of Of the living God. That's the final warning passage. We've got all these warning passages in Hebrews. Each one more fearsome than the one before. Chapter 10. We'll deal with it. The living God. You want to fall into the hands of the living God? Hebrews 12.22. We were just looking at this. Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Is Mosaic Law going to get you there? Hebrews 10.28. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. The living God cannot be shaken. So we have perfection of a cleansed conscience. We have perfection of the living sacrificial service. We have perfection of confident nearness. The perfection of confident nearness. Here's another perfection Mosaic law could never give. If you think about it, Mosaic law was just a system of progressive uh, farness, (laughs) distance. Right? So only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. Only the priests could go into the holy place. Only the priests and the Levites could go into the courtyard. Only the Jews could get close to to the courtyard itself. Think about proximity, proximity, proximity. So if you were of a tribe that was not Levi, how close do you get? Or if you're a Gentile, if you're not even of a a Jewish tribe, how close can you get? So Mosaic law is not a system that brings you close. Mosaic law is a system that tells you how close you can get, which for most people is not very close at all. That's quite a bit different from the blood of Christ. That's quite a bit different from what you and I have in the church age. The nearness that we have. Near Near to the heart of God. How about that? I love that song. The nearness that we have with our Savior. Nearness. And we've seen confident nearness already in chapter 4 and chapter 7. It comes back here in chapter 10. This confident nearness. Do you remember Hebrews 4.16? It says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's our birthright in Christ. That's our privilege in our Melchizedek priesthood. We draw near. Hebrews 7, 19, more nearness. Again, the law made nothing perfect. We saw that earlier. And on the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. The bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Nearness. Verse 25, also chapter 7. Therefore He is able to save to the uttermost, to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. We get to draw near. What a a privilege. Hebrews 10.1, we're drawing near in terms of making perfect. For the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come, what is this, the 10th time I've read this verse this morning? <laughs> Why am I reading it? I should just memorize it. For the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. That's us. We get to draw near. He's making us perfect. He's perfecting us day by day. We're being molded in the image of Christ. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. See, that was last hour in Philippians. Okay, We get the blessings of, be, of drawing near. It's a perfection of drawing near. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near. Why would you not? Therefore, brethren, and I love this, 19 and following, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, since we have all that, why not? Why not? Tell me, why the heck not are you standing before God the Father all day, every day? Let us draw near with sincere heart and full assurance of faith. We draw near. This is our priestly uh, privilege that we have to stand before the Father in the heavenly Holy of Holies, a confident nearness. Finally, we have the perfection of a transformed image. The perfection of a transformed image. Also stated in Hebrews 10.1. They had shadow. We have substance image. The Greek here is icon. I know we're not doing a lot of exegesis in this series, but there is, there's work to be done in this verse, let me tell you. The idea of substance is the idea of image, is the idea of being molded into the image of Christ. A transformed image. Connections here with Romans eight twenty nine, Second 2 Corinthians 3.18, Colossians 3.10. I'm glad we're getting this far before communion because this is really what it's about. The intimacy we have with our Lord is because of our Lord. And the privilege we have to celebrate what He's done on our behalf. What does Romans 8.29 tell us? Say, I don't know, I thought the only verse in Romans 8 is Romans 8, 28, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, There's a 29th verse after 28. And there's 27 other verses in front of verse 28. It's not the only verse in the chapter. We know that that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew... He also predestined, what? To get saved? No, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. What a glory for us. Mosaic Law didn't do this. <laughs> Mosaic Law didn't even come close to doing this. Mosaic Law was never designed to do this. Mosaic Law highlighted our our failures, our shortcomings, our unrighteousness, so that only Jesus Christ could come and fulfill it, keep it, and provide for us the perfection mosaic law could not provide those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son what a glory 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 2nd Corinthians 3 18 this is you know if you have friends that are legalists it's just it, it I know it's frustrating Think, why? Why be a legalist? What are you really trying to accomplish? You realize the champion legalists of human history uh, have already been there, done that. <laughs> and Paul was the chief of them all, the best of the best, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You know what law could not do? Even if you are the best legalist out there, what's law going to do? Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, there's actually a pretty lengthy development there leading up to verse 18, but in verse 13 talking about Moses used to put a veil over his face and their their minds were hardened it says in verse 14 until this very day at the reading of the old covenant the same veil remains unlifted. Why? Because it's lifted in Christ. It's removed in Christ. Grace is so powerful that it just lifts that veil. It's a beautiful context here. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And look what happens to us in verse 18. I trust this is happening today. This is trust, I trust this happens every time you walk in here. You walk in here and then you get transformed and you walk out of here. More Christ-like than when you walked in. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. When you look in a mirror, what do you see? You still see yourself? in the spiritual mirror, day by day, year by year, you should be seeing less and less of you and more and more of Jesus. The more you're growing, the more you're transformed, the more you see the image of Christ. Not the shadow, the substance image. We all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. If you want more on that, we've got 2 Corinthians notes sitting there on the website. A transformed image. Finally, Colossians 3.10. Colossians 3.10. Verse 9 says, Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed. Now, it's interesting, getting saved gives you a new self, but that's not the purpose. That's not the end. That's the beginning of the end. That's the he who began a good work in you. And that's not, he's not done with that. There's an ongoing process, your experiential sanctification. Put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And so we have the transformed image there. So the good things law could never provide is everything that we have in Christ. The perfection we have provided by Jesus Christ. Mosaic law gave us none of it. Mosaic law gave Israel none of it. Jesus gives us all of this. What a privilege we have. What a standing we have before the Lord. All right, well, otherwise, we're going to go to the Lord's table here in a moment, but I just want verse 1 to sink in. Because there's, there's such a depth, there's such a, an impact here. Like I say, summarizing the first nine chapters and, and in one verse just laying it all there in a, in, a, in a nutshell. And you realize to reject that. How significant is it to reject that? how significant is it if you're going to if you're going to consider a counterfactual if you're going to consider the idea that well maybe there's other ways to get there maybe there's other paths maybe there's other well otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered you know if if verse 1 is not true if 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 law could do what verse 1 says law could never do well then We don't need Jesus. We don't need the cross. I'm going to expand this more next week, but do you know how blasphemous and how dangerous and how wicked and how scary even considering, contemplating an alternative that says, well, we don't need, who needs Jesus? I can merit my own righteousness. No law proves you can't. Or I don't need Jesus. There's other paths had a guy yesterday tell me, you know, whether you're Mormon or Buddhist or... He didn't use Mormon, but he used Buddhist and he used Islam. It was a big one. I oh, thought, really? He said, if you're Buddhist or if you're Muslim or if you're Hindu, they all basically say the same thing. And good people can go to heaven. Oh, my. To accept that is the unthinkable question that verse 2 is. Otherwise... See, it makes the cross unnecessary. If that's right, then God had no reason to sacrifice His Son because He could have just told people to go do the Buddhist thing, go do the Hindu thing, go do the, the Muslim thing. The fact that He gave His Son tells us it's the only way. It's the only provision. If law could have done it, it would have done it, and it would have ceased We'd have gotten there, but law would never get us there. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your truth. I thank you, Father, on this Resurrection Sunday that we can see these beautiful blessings, these beautiful principles. Some of them are as deep as anything, Father. So we call upon your Spirit to open our eyes and to, to really digest and process the the full impact on, on any of this, Father. This is so marvelous. And what a joy that we get to study this on resurrection day, that we get to partake of the Lord's table, that we have a better sense of appreciation for all that the Lord has accomplished. I pray, Father, that we would see it, we would celebrate it, and we would faithfully testify to its necessity. That, Father, it's by Your grace we are what we are. It's by Your grace we do what we do. It's by Your grace that anything is accomplished in Your eternal plan. And as we eat this bread and drink this cup. We proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Father, it is our joyous proclamation to declare what was done, why it had to be done, why it accomplishes what nothing else ever could. What a joy, Father. Thank You for this grace plan. Thank You for making us a part of this grace plan. I pray for the folks last night that were saying those terrible, terrible things because they attended a wedding and they heard the gospel. And Father, uh, they're accountable. They're accountable for what they've heard, and, and uh, if, they, if they rejected it and continue to reject it, just keep haunting them, Father. Bring those words back to the remembrance. Let the convicting ministry of God the Holy Spirit ring forth again and again and again. Might this be the day that the lies are shown for what they are and that the truth shines forth. Let this be the day that, that the lost believes in Jesus Christ for eternal life. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen. All right, we will have a communion.